forever. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends, as we read again this morning from Colossians chapter 4. And I will read verses 10 through 17. We are looking at only verses 12 through 14 today. Again, this is the Lord's word. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bondslave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Aeropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you for your part read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. My friends, this is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated? Again, our Father, we thank you for your word and pray that you would bless your servant and bless these, your people, that the word will go forward faithfully and that it will be received faithfully and that you will grow us in likeness to our dear Savior. We ask for your help in these things and pray that you would keep Satan away. In fact, I pray that you would cause the kingdom of Satan great injury. We humbly ask these things that you, O warrior king, would battle for your people yet again. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are resuming our look into the closing portion of this epistle, remembering that even in the closing portions we have the very word of God that is given to us in order that we may be fitted, completed, and equipped for every good work. Last week we looked at three Jewish converts, Jews, circumcised men, men who had abided by the ceremonial law, who had since come to faith in Jesus Christ. We looked at Aristarchus and Mark, Barnabas' cousin, and we looked at Justice. These three men were a blessing to the church in Colossae, especially so because they were from the circumcision. They were Jews like the Apostle Paul, and like him, whatever their pedigrees or bragging points might have been, those things in which they had placed their confidence at one point, they, alongside the apostle, no doubt would have said these very things, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's what these circumcised um, believers now, that would have been their attitude, just like the Apostle Paul. That's what makes it so lovely, is that here at one point they would have had nothing to do with Gentiles because they would have been considered filthy 
and now understanding what they are and what Christ had done, they didn't turn their backs on them. They would not view and did not view the Gentiles as beneath them, but just the same as themselves, sinners in need of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. These men love the apostle. They love the Lord, they loved his truth, and they loved the body of Christ, and they desired the best for this church. This is what you and I should strive to imitate as well. This week, uh, as we consider uh, continue down this path of these brothers, we consider three more men, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. These men are Gentile converts. They, too, seek the blessing of their brothers and sisters in Colossae and in the rest of the Lycus Valley. And while we are given no commands and no exhortations or doctrinal points, these men set before us uh, are set before us rather as examples to guide, shape, and challenge our own attitudes and behaviors. The Apostle John wrote in Third uh, John 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Oftentimes, godly examples are caught easier than they can be taught. And so this is a reminder to us as parents uh, with our children, uh, right? It's one thing to say something, it's quite another to do it. And it's uh, an example and a reminder to us as older saints with younger saints, older men with younger women, or sorry, older men (laughs) with younger men, older women with younger women. That example is important, how we carry ourselves, what we do. The first example that the apostle gives here is the example of Epaphras, who was a man who sought to bless the church by laboring earnestly over her in prayer. Again, this might be something we're tempted to just blow over rather quickly. Oh, the prayer. Here comes the prayer sermon. (laughs) Really, uh, he's a wonderful character. It's a wonderful name for a baby, I would say. Epaphras. Good character. Listen again. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Who is this Epaphras fellow? Epaphras is mentioned only three times in the scriptures, here in Colossians 1, 7, and also in Philemon verse 23. We are told that he is one of your number. He is one of them. If you would turn with me over to chapter 1 and listen to verses 3 through 8 regarding Epaphras. Paul writes, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, Just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant who was a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Understand that Epaphras was the instrument that the Lord used to bring the gospel to Colossae. He is a man from Colossae who brought the truth of Christ to the people of Colossae some five to seven years earlier. 
Familiarity with the people did not breed contempt in this man. He cared for them. He loved them. Sometimes we become disgusted with people from our past and want nothing to do with them. This clearly was not the case with Epaphras, who was given a love and a concern for the people of his past, the people with whom he lived. Paul says, therefore, that he is one of your number and that he is a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And this explains why he would bring the gospel of the Lord to those who are around him. In Colossians 1.7, Epaphras is called a bond servant, one who executes the command of another, of a master, let's say. But here he is referred to as a bond slave, a doulos. In this context, it is used of those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men as one who was a preacher and teacher of the gospel. Here, Epaphras was a slave of Christ, doing the work, the labor of preaching and teaching the gospel five to seven years earlier among the people of Colossae, as well as currently with the apostle in Rome. He was not a man taking it easy, but rather whose will was to do the will of the Lord, to make him known to have others come to rest in the grace of the Lord. And notice what he does. Epaphras sends you his greetings. Like his brothers from the circumcision, Epaphras sends greetings, well wishes, blessings to his brothers in Colossae. As mentioned earlier, there is no bitterness, no withholding of affection. He knew them well and still loved them. And though they are out of sight, they are not out of his mind, nor are they out of his heart. He didn't move on from them emotionally, and this is seen even more so when we consider what the apostle says next. I've moved on to better things. I'm with the apostle now in Rome. I'm a big shot. Not Epaphras. Not a big shot. Not a big shot at all. He says that he was always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Look at this man. Consider this man. I mean, that's one thing, even, friends. He's a man. How often do we see men step up like this? Usually it's women who are going to the prayer meetings. Here's a man. Here's a man's man, by the way doing what manly men should do. He's engaged. He's engaged in a battle. And he's engaged in a battle for the souls of the people in the church. That's what godly men do. As an evangelist, the one who used, who was used rather to start the church in Colossae, Epaphras, had labored faithfully. And now, years later and hundreds of miles away, like a parent who continues to pour effort into their children, even after they have grown, Epaphras is always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Constantly, he labored earnestly for them in prayer. Not that he prayed on occasion when he thought of it, or not that his prayers were mild or half-heartedly spoken, But that day, being always at the forefront of his affections, he labored earnestly for them, meaning that he contended for them, he fought for them, a word used to describe a contending like an athlete would do in a gymnastic game. It means to endeavor with strenuous zeal to strive to obtain something. If you look at the cover of your bulletin, I chose that image that Dr. Harris drew some years ago. 
as a picture of contending. Listen to these words taken from Genesis 32. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his, of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That historically is understood as a picture of Jacob wrestling with God, that he is wrestling with God in prayer. I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob wrestles a theophany, an appearance of God. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Epaphras, not for himself, but for the church, he fought. And like the persistent widow of Luke 18, he did not lose heart, but prayed and entreated the Lord, contending for the saints in Colossae on his knees in prayer. And as we noted weeks ago, my friends, um, as, as the farmer seeks rain from the sky, the blessing of God's grace to enable us to do and fulfill the things the Lord has called us to do, so Epaphras would seek blessing from the Lord like rain from the sky that the people would have the grace of God, the Spirit's empowerings, that they might walk in obedience to the Lord. And this man gets on his knees and he fights. Always he fights for them in prayer. Because who can obey the Lord apart from the strength that the Lord provides? And so Epaphras, so far removed geographically, so far removed from them by years, still is fighting for those uh, from whom he had come. What a picture of a faithful minister. And so we often say, prayer, I can only pray. I'm sorry, that's all I could offer up. I, all I can do is pray. And it oftentimes is said quite apologetically. But my friends, if that's what you do, praise the Lord. We have some wonderful warriors in this congregation. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't recognize them because they're not buff. But their knees are well worn. We can say it like that. They pray. It's never, friends, just a prayer meeting. And it's never just a prayer. And so I do. I want to thank those of you who so faithfully pray for the church and who pray for me and who pray for the elders and our deacon and who pray for the open doors of the gospel. When um, we went to the children's camp this year, I, I contacted Sharon Starks and uh, gave her a list of all the students and of all the people who were going to be there. And she was praying. And I heard multiple times people say, we have never had such a good youth camp. And all I could think was, that's because we've got people praying. <laughs> you see, Epaphras understood the importance of what was, he was engaged in in the church and for the church. If we're not at least praying, we're doing nothing. At the very least, we must be praying for the Lord's help. Because otherwise, we go about the Lord's work in our own efforts and our own strength, and it accomplishes nothing. What, what do these hands have that can battle a spiritual battle? And yet Epaphras, he understood this, 
and he contended. He wrestled with the Lord in prayer on behalf of these people. F.F. Bruce said, praying is working. Praying is working. If I'm sitting at my desk, friends, and I'm praying, I'm working. I'm not doing nothing. I'm doing something. And when you're praying with your children, for your children, you're doing something, something vital and something important. Notice for what he prays. He doesn't pray for ease of comfort. He doesn't pray for a life free of strife, for things that would tempt and draw them away from the Lord. No, but Paul says that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. This is, as a pastor, his greatest desire is that they not be moved away from Christ Jesus as their only hope. Remember, friends, that they are faced with error, with persecution, with temptations. He is praying that the people of God in Colossae will be constant, that they will be mature, that they may have a thoroughly rich, gratifying insight into all the spiritual matters and have an understanding which not only penetrates the mind, but also fills the heart with satisfying conviction. He is praying that they will stay the course and finish the race. What every pastor wants to see. Finish the course. Finish the race. Stay, stay on the path. Do the will of God. Do what he has instructed. And why does he do it? Why not lighten up honestly? And listen, Epaphras he prays as though their good in Colossae depends upon his prayers. I want to say that again. Epaphras prays as though their good, their spiritual good, depends upon him praying. Maybe, friends, we err when we don't pray in this fashion. A slight and subtle correction to our theology. Not, not to our theology, but how we apply our theology. We are right in concluding that the Lord is sovereign over all things. Over others. Over all events in everyone's lives. We are right to conclude that he loves his people. The scriptures say it again and again. But wrongly, I believe... We may, um, we may conclude that I don't need to concern myself over other people because God will take care of them. Now look, God will take care of them. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But when we take that truth to the exclusion of being in the battle in prayer, I think we've missed the point. We're called to engage in the battle. To fight like men on our knees. And this is what Epaphras does. He's fighting for them. He's praying for them. And so when we don't apply the scriptures faithfully to our lives, we approach prayer in kind of a lazy and half-hearted fashion. Rather than understanding, we are engaging the king of the universe and we are imploring him, Lord, hold them close. Hold them close. Help them through this battle. Help my children stay the course. Help them not to lose sight of Jesus Christ. 
And he says concerning him, for I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. Here the apostle is giving a glowing commendation to Epaphras. Again, my friends, giving us an example, especially ministers and elders, but really for all of us, how deep a love we should have and how deep a concern we ought to have for one another. Epaphras had a great concern and intense desire for the saints in Colossae, as well as in the sister cities of Laodicea and Heropolis. So he fought for them faithfully. Epaphras, a godly example, was a man of deep love and great sacrifice. Remember, we said he was also a fellow prisoner, according to Philemon 23. He was a voluntary prisoner. Paul's in prison. I'll, I'll be in prison too with you, Paul, so that I can minister to your needs and minister to the needs of the church. He is an earnest man, a man who earnestly wrestles for the body of Christ, the church. Epaphras, what a godly example. Secondly, Paul would point out Luke, the beloved physician. Again, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. Who was Luke? Luke was a Gentile Christian who was now in Rome with the Apostle Paul as he was imprisoned. Paul calls him beloved, the beloved physician. That is, he's esteemed, he's dear or favorite. He was loved by the Lord, by his church, and especially dear was he to the Apostle Paul, as you'll see in just a moment. He was frequently with Paul during his journeys. Luke was with Paul on his second missionary journey, namely at Troas and Philippi. Towards the close of the third tour, he seems, um, he seems again to have joined Paul at Philippi, and he accompanied him to Jerusalem. We find him alone, or, or find him again, along with Aristarchus, on the dangerous sea journey that Paul takes in Acts 27. And during the apostles' second and final Roman imprisonment, we read these tender words. He says, Luke is the only one with me. He's the only one with me. Luke was a loyal friend, a fellow worker with the apostle, and was the author of the gospel and also of the book of Acts, the one who recorded our current record, our record of the apostle Paul's life. We notice he was in Rome while Mark was there. Scholars believe that one of Luke's sources for his gospel was Mark's gospel. And so we find this interconnection then of these brothers who are serving to benefit the church. And speaking of Luke's work, we are given an insight into his personality in the opening verses of Luke. Listen to this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, listen, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Dr. Luke, he was a physician. He is faithful, he's caring, he's careful with his information. Like Paul, he's cultured, he's educated, he's a believer as well as a missionary. And unlike the, the, the social standing of doctors today in our culture, in that day, many physicians were of the class of slaves. And you never get the sense at all that Luke was full of himself. 
but was a lovely Christian man who quietly, faithfully put his hand to the plow to bless his friend Paul, and the church with faithful and accurate accounts of the life and ministry of our Lord and of the advance of the gospel into all the world. That's Luke. A man who, like Epaphras, who too would send his greetings to the body of Christ and Colossae. What an example. A man who is quiet, he's not drawing attention to himself, and he faithfully does his work in order to edify the church. And finally, there is the example of Demas, who I've entitled, Do as I say and not as I do. All we are told in verse 14b, we are told this, and also Demas. Who was Demas? We don't know much concerning Demas. He, like the others, was a Gentile. He was a co-worker with Paul in the first imprisonment. In the book of Philemon, he too is called a fellow worker. Here, however, there is no commendation given to him, just the words and also Demas. Leaving one commentator to speculate, was the apostle starting to suspect something about him? It would be about five years later, Demas walked away. He clearly, Demas had clearly made a credible profession of faith, was baptized, had been with Paul in some of his labors. He sent his greetings as well to the church, along with Epaphras and Luke and those of the circumcision. This was good. He wanted what was best for them. But something happened to Demas, for we read of him. And to me, this is one of the most frightening verses. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Notice he didn't abandon the Apostle Paul because of cowardice or persecution for fear. Um, rather, he deserted Paul or abandoned his co-worker because something else captured his eye and got a hold of his affections. And we are told it is the world. He loved this present world and traded, traded this what he had for this present world. And I say it is, it is um, it's a frightening verse to me. Back when we were newer wed, maybe six, seven years into our marriage, we had a couple of kids, and my in-laws said, why don't you go take a night, go to Chicago or something? So we went to Chicago to the Miracle Mile. Stayed in the most expensive hotel in my life. I think it was $150 a night. That tells you how prices have changed. We stayed right there on the Miracle Mile. And my eyeballs were about falling out of my skull. High-end shops, galleries, toy stores, beautiful. I don't even think there was a piece of bubble gum on the sidewalk. It was absolutely beautiful. There was an art gallery with a Rembrandt in it, a sketch that Rembrandt had done that they were selling for just about as much as I paid for my first house. The people were svelte, lean and beautiful, everyone wearing black leather and, you know, just fresh and crisp looking. The cars were beautiful, Lexus and Mercedes, Beamers, black, high gloss, And this verse, as we walked along the street there of the Miracle Mile, 
This verse kept rolling around in my mind, and I couldn't for the life of me figure out why. Demas, having loved this present world, was, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And I'd step, and I would look, and I would gawk, and Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And I'm like, what is going on? So we got back to our hotel room, and I had my little Bible. And I opened it. I went to the index. And I said, Demas, Demas, Demas. And I found this verse. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. It's a warning, you see. It's a cautionary note. Many start well and never finish the race. They become distracted and they lose their way. Do as I say. Greetings in the name of the Lord. But don't do as I do. Demas deserted. He found greater solace, greater comfort in the things of this world. His greeting, uh, his wish for the church, be blessed in the Lord. This is good. This is where we and the rest of the church should seek our blessing. Again, do as he says. But my friends, don't do as Demas did, who deserted and abandoned the work of the gospel to pursue his love of this world as if real blessing comes from the world and its stuff. My friends, it is those who finish, who persevere, who are the Lord's and who will inherit glory. Don't imitate Demas in that he would say one thing and do another. But take the counsel of Demas and the blessings, the greetings in the Lord and take those to heart and pursue those things. Again, my friends, these men serve as examples to us of the affection and the effort we pour out in order to bless one another in the church. And the church doesn't exist and can't and couldn't exist were it not for this kind of affection and this heart for one another. Because the body is a body and the body works together. We weep together and we rejoice together. We have gifts that benefit and bless and so the example that we are given, the example we see in our Lord is one who came, came to serve and not to be served. And this is the example we see that Paul holds forth these men and says, imitate these men. That's how we bless one another. Let's pray. We ask, Father, that your blessing be upon us and your word as it has gone forward and pray that you would make us a people of prayer, a people who faithfully put our hand to the plow to edify one another. And even, Father, for Demas, we are thankful for the time that he served and ultimately don't know whether he would rebound, whether he would come back, whether he found that the world was empty. We certainly hope, Lord, that was the case. But we pray, Father, for ourselves that we would not be those who fall into enticement in the world and who are led away from you. We ask, Father, that you would help us, for we are weak. Would you, Lord, please bless your saints and bless this congregation. I humbly ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, friends, and let's sing to the Lord.